welcome to Base Camp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Well, I can't believe we've made it to episode 100. I feel a sense of accomplishment with this, and I would like to start off by thanking my excellent sound editor, Chris Rod. Chris, thank you so much for all the work you do. I really appreciate it. Couldn't have done it without you. I would also like to thank you, my listener, for giving our show a try, and for many of you, putting it into your regular rotation of podcasts. I appreciate the follow, and if you're a fan of the show, help us by recommending it to a friend or two or by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Both of these actions help us to continue to grow and get the word out. As many of you know, one of my interests is how can we best show up as men in our most important relationships? These primary relationships with our spouses or life partners, with our children, our siblings, and our parents will inevitably bring our most challenging issues to the surface. They always do. And there's an interesting dynamic at play. These most intimate relationships are the ones we care about the most. And what tends to show up in the things that we care about the most? challenges and obstacles, ones that we seem to subconsciously put in our own way as we learn to love one another and ourselves unconditionally. It is not hard to see that it is not always the great parts of us that are in our marriages and partnerships. We each show up with our unique wounds and insecurities, our neediness, our upsets and our fears, our shame, and there's a paradox at play. We seem to want unconditional love from one another, but then we keep putting parts of ourselves out there that we don't even love. It is like we're telling our partners, I don't really like this small, needy, insecure part of myself. What do you think? We long for the healing of our deepest wounds and then misguidedly ask our poor, unsuspecting partners to do the healing. We often don't suspect that it is ourselves that hold the key to the healing and love we have been looking for from our partners. I sometimes think that our spouses and life partners are really here to bear witness to our courage to confront ourselves and to change. They encourage us to be true to ourselves and do our best to love life and them with a full and open heart. My guest today knows a lot about learning in a relationship. Let's go have a conversation with her. Kimberly Bean Holmes is the CEO of Marriage Helper, an organization that seeks to give couples new resources for their journey. She's also the CEO and creator of Pies University. Kimberly is also the host of It Starts With Attraction podcast, and her videos, podcasts, and following reach over 200,000 people a month who are making changes and becoming the best that they can be. Here is my interview with Kimberly Holmes. Hey. I am here with Kimberly Holmes, CEO, business leader, teacher Kimberly Holmes. Kimberly, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. You know, I found your, uh, how I got keen to you was I read the article in American Essence, the excellent new magazine, and I was like, oh my God, they're doing such great work um, with Marriage Helper. And then I clicked on your your profile and saw you're doing Pies University, you're doing all this great work uh, on behalf of couples. And first of all, thank you so much for the work you do in the world. It's making a huge difference for people and for relationships. So thank you. And my first question, I guess, is how did you get started in kind of the relationship marriage helper game? Sure. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for your thankfulness. It takes people like you, like me, like people who are doing great work to, to 
to make change. And so all of us have something to do, something we're called to do. And yep. I'm blessed to be able to do what I am doing. The way that I, I got involved is honestly upfront. I owe my life to a marriage being restored. And mm-hmm. here's what I mean by that. Back in the 1980s is uh, before is the early 1980s before I was born. My parents were actually married to each other. I had two older sisters and my dad divorced and left my mom and they were divorced for three years. And during that time, my, my older sisters, they only saw my dad once every other weekend, the whole thing. My dad, he would tell you himself that he did things he never thought he'd do, went places he never thought he'd go, ultimately became a person he didn't even like anymore. But he thought that, that things were going to be amazing during this divorce. He thought he was going to go and be with another woman and it was going to make him happy. And he realized none of that was true. And so he went back to my mom at the end of that three years and asked her to take him back. And everyone in her life told her not to take him back. Yeah. And she said, I mean, I, I love when she says this. She says, Kimberly, I just knew that he was a good person who had done a lot of bad things, but I believed it was the right thing to do to try and make this work. Mm-hmm. And so they got remarried, almost divorced a second time because they hadn't yet worked through the issues that caused them to divorce the first time, but they were committed this time and they figured out how to make it work. And as a celebration of their remarriage, I was born. And I didn't realize the impact and weight of that until I got married myself and realized marriage is hard and it really takes not just commitment. It definitely takes commitment, but it takes investing in it, watering it, nurturing it to make it a great relationship. And so I respected and, and just appreciated what my parents did and what they went through for me to even have a place on this earth. And so I see it for other couples, the work that we've been able to do at Marriage Helper, and it's what motivates me and and keeps me going every day. So that's how I originally got involved. Of course, then got my master's in psychology. I'm currently getting my doctorate in psychology as well. So I'm working on my PhD Mm -hmm. and I'm just committed to, to making this space of marriage something that is is strong and that uh, championing championing marriage I'm all about being a champion for marriage and strong families that's a great that's a great story and you touched on something that really resonated with me I, I've been married for 20 oh I don't know it's been like 20, I've been with my wife for 27 years and you know when you when you step in as a young person and you get married you're so inundated with the fairy tale of you get married and it's they don't talk about the struggles. They mm-hmm. they talk about, you know, it's just love and, you know, Prince Charming and it's just happily ever after. And, you know, but you're looking around at the people that have been together a long time and some of those not necessarily looking like the marriage is thriving. They're just kind of there. And and so you're, you're seeing some kind of warning signs that like, I don't know if this is, is going to be an easy ride. And then when you get married, you find out, oh my God, this is, all my baggage is in there. I have nowhere to hide. I'm getting triggered all over the place. Um, this is way more challenging than I ever thought it was going to be. And, and, and people don't talk about it that way. They don't, they don't, 
I don't think our culture prepares us for the crucible that is a long-term relationship or a marriage. I know I was completely unprepared. And if it wasn't for my wife's willingness to say, let's find a therapist or let's do some work or let's see if we can make this better than maybe our parents' marriages were, you know? And uh, if there wasn't a willingness to work on it, um, I, there it would not have, we would not have lasted at all. I mean, and so I just, I, I guess I wanted to ask you, like if, if there's couples hitting a, ru- a rough patch, you know, in other words, you might have listeners who are married or newly married, or maybe things were really good for a few years. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're bickering and fighting uh, and th- we're not on the same page. And I'm starting to get bothered by this and I don't know what to do. What, where would you point them? Like what, what would be resources that you would recommend for a couple that's maybe just discovering, oh, this is way more challenging and I may not be resourced for this the way I thought I was. Sure. First, I would say that is going to happen. So yeah, I, yeah, I sure. think we should yeah. prepare people yeah, and not just yeah. say, if it happens, right, and, right, but right. they win, right? Be, and it's okay. You're normal. That is, it's part of the growth of marriage. Yeah. You go through seasons of, of excitement and happiness and complete joy, and then seasons of struggle and growth pains and all of it. And so I, I'm going to shamelessly plug what we do at Marriage Helpers. So we, uh, first, having the self-awareness to say, yes, we need help. And even if it's just one of you, because that's another sticking point Mm, a lot of times mm -hmm. in marriage is, you know, well, my husband won't agree to do something with me. So therefore I can't do anything. No, that's not true. We know if you, even if you look at research, we know that the per, even if one person begins to work on making themselves better, doing what they can do to learn great relationship principles and, and apply those in the relationship, Mm-hmm. And more times than not, it's going to end up with a positive correlation on the effect of the relationship. So you can start doing things on your own now. And a lot of that looks like learning, learning what is a healthy relationship? What are the things I need to do? What are those behaviors? What does it look like? How do I actually play it out? And there's a lot of feel good stuff out there. You know, give your wife flowers every day or have sex four times a week or whatever. And all of that like sounds nice and it feels good, but it, it's not getting to the root of what's going on. We know from research, Dr. John Gottman uh, years ago did a study and was asking, why do people really divorce? So yeah, they say what they say on their divorce reports, but what is the real reasons? And what he found is it's not finances. It's not in-laws. It's not the fighting. It's the fact that people don't feel, one or both people in the marriage don't feel liked, loved, or respected. Mm. And so- shift that into the paradigm. Asking myself even, what am I doing to show my husband that I like him, that I love him, and that I respect him? That's a great place to start. But learning these things, right? Like awareness helps us to be awareness helps us to be aware of the things that we're doing so that we can change our behaviors. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what we have at Marriage Helper. If you go on YouTube, you can look at a, a, hundreds of videos that we have that really speak to specific topics and things you can do, behavior changes that you can make mm-hmm. that will make a positive impact in your relationship, whether or not your spouse is willing to work on things with you right now or not. That's great. I, I remember we took a Gottman. He's here in Seattle. That's where I'm at. And we oh, yeah. took we took a workshop with him and his wife uh, a number of years back. And I remember the the big aha 
where he points out, if you remember, he points out the bids for attention mm-hmm. and it, it could be a lot of things where your partner is, um, you know, doing these little things that are really bids for attention for you to notice him or her and appreciate that she's mm-hmm. doing him or her is doing something for you. And it really, I think it, I think it clued us in both my wife and I a little more to where the other was sort of um, leaning towards, you know, it doesn't always have to be, uh, you know, making love or it doesn't always have to be, you know, some grand, like you said, bring flowers, whatever. It's, it's all these little things that we do all the time for our partner to show that we like love and respect. And if you don't notice them, um, the person can feel a little gypped, you know, like I, I did that for you, or, you know, I picked up this for you and, um, to not appreciate it is sort of to miss an opportunity to strengthen the relationship. And I always thought that's really brilliant. And it was completely escaping my radar a lot of times. Um, and then one of the things I wanted to ask you, it's such an important question sometimes for couples is how do they know the relationship is worth saving? This is obviously further along, like there's been more struggles and maybe the person is, you know, uh, they're just arrived at a place where they're like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Uh, maybe they've done some work, maybe not, but how, how is there a gauge? Is there a kind of a, a way to go, you know, cause I know people that are, are in relationships where it's kind of coming unraveled, or maybe there's been an infidelity um, or some, some trust has been broken and they may be asking themselves this question, like, would I be better off um, cutting ties here? Or is it, you know, mm-hmm. can I, can I save it? What, what would be a way to help them decide maybe? Cause it's an important question and an important decision for these people. It's a life-changing decision. Mm-hmm. Definitely not one that should be taken lightly. Yeah. I people ask us this all of the time. Probably one of the most common questions we get. But what we have found is what they're really wanting to know. The real question they have behind that question is is there hope for my situation? Mm-hmm. Is there a way out of this? Is there a possibility for a turnaround? And <laughs> what we have seen Tony in in thousands upon thousands of couples that we've worked with for over 20 years is there is hope. Yeah. And, and I could, I could list the affairs, the addictions, getting pregnant with another man's baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of these things we have seen marriages saved and turn around. And so the first question, so to answer that question for, for listeners who may be asking it is if they're wondering if there's hope, then hope psychologically breaks down to two things seeing a vision of what can be and knowing the plan to get there. Mm-hmm. That's how people have hope. And so what we do at Marriage Helper is, is we show them that. I get that this is what you've gone through. This is what your spouse has done. This is what you have done. This is the hell that it's been for the past however long, but here's what it could be on the other side. And here is the step-by-step plan that we can help you go through to get here. Now, here's the thing. We all have free will. Our spouses have free will. I have free will. We have free will to make our own decisions. I could do everything right in my marriage and my husband could still choose to leave me. And that is, it's going to sound, it's going to sound weird. That's okay. Like if I have done my part, if I have actually tried to make it work, done the things, put my all into it, then I have come out on the other side, having more peace, more, I kept my self-esteem. I have confidence going forward. And that's what we're really looking for. So what we tell people is, listen, we are here to save marriages. We can't guarantee that yours will be saved. But here is what we guarantee. If you invest in really applying the things that we learn, 
or it, the best things to make a great relationship, right? And we can talk a little bit of, of what some of those key things are. But if you do those things, then at the end of the day, do you have peace? Ultimately, like after doing all those things and trying your best, then if you feel peace about your marriage ending and no longer trying anymore, that's what it has to come down to. It can't come down to a counselor telling you to divorce him, your best friend, your family. It has to come from within you. Do you have peace? And if you do not have peace yet, then you need to keep fighting for it. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, is there is there things, is there principles in the relationship that start to break down? Is the fighting... I guess I wanted to ask you, like, what are the, in your experience at Marriage Helper, what are the things that people fight about? Is it simply a symptom of something that's underneath it that where they're not applying maybe principles of, of, of good foundation in a relationship? Like, how, how do you assess that? Is, is the methodology the same if the, there's fights about money or infidelity or, or whatever, the, whatever the fight is about or whatever the, whatever the bickering is about, let's say, too? Um, is it, how do you go about sort of getting to the root of what that is to, to, to figure out, is this a, is this something that's, that's got a foundational problem or is this just something that just keeps popping up as a habit? They, they tend to trigger each other up here and this is, this is just one little thing, but the foundation is strong. How, how do you go about assessing uh, how the foundation is of a relationship? Okay. I'm going to try and break this question down because it's a great question. I know. It's it a lot. A, There's a lot to <laughs> that question. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. But it's, it's good. It's good. So yes, you can, and we do to an extent measure the, what we call the, the, uh, and what research calls the three aspects and areas of love. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to break down the feeling of love, so to say, in your relationship, let's just start here and then I'll move on to another part of it. Yeah. Then there's three aspects. There is intimacy. Mm-hmm. And this is your ability to be open and honest and transparent with your spouse. So if you say it slower than you have it, it's into me, see. We all crave the ability to be completely open and vulnerable with our spouses and for them to love and accept us for what we have shared with them. That is intimacy. It's a strong pillar of love. Mm -hmm. Passion is the other one. So passion is a desire for oneness. It could be sexual. It doesn't have to be, but of course, sex would fall under that. Mm -hmm. And that is just this craving. You crave to be with them. You want to spend time with them. You want to share intimate things with them, right? And so passion is important. But the third one is commitment. And commitment is the decision to stay in this relationship day after day after day. And all three of these, intimacy, passion, and commitment, would be what is the foundation of a strong marriage. So a marriage would need to have those three things. Now, none of those, no three of those areas are going to be at 100% every single day of the week. Some of them wax and wane. There are days we feel less passionate about our spouses and days we feel more passionate. Those things can change. But the goal is we want to be in the three of those at our fullest. So that can be a starting point for couples Mm -hmm. to just even self-assess and say, hmm, what have I been doing where have have i been allowing my husband to be to be open with me when he shares things with with me do i listen to him am i asking him questions mm-hmm. or am i too busy focusing on the things that i'm focusing on whether it's kids or work or whatever yep. those are great things that we can ask ourselves and we can do that for each area but then there's other parts of this so another part of the question you asked is well but how do you know if things are foundationally broken mm-hmm. and i think for that the biggest thing is trust. Mm. So if 
if I am with, uh, okay, so I'm thinking of a, of a situation that, that we worked with several years ago. And the woman said, I just don't feel like my husband is ever honest with me. And it had been about mm-hmm. 10 or 15 years wow. of her continually catching him in lies, catching mm-hmm. him doing things behind her back. And she finally got to the point where she said, I can't keep doing this. Mm-hmm. I Because I try and trust him. And then the next thing, the next month, the next week, it's like, I, it's just keeps happening. That is a fundamental break. Yep. And that might be the only, that, that that's probably the biggest one that I can think of right now. If you can't trust someone and they aren't willing to be trustworthy with you yep. and you have, and you've worked on this and it still uh, hasn't come to be, then that has to be fixed. Either the spouse who who's constantly breaking trust needs to get therapy for the reasons that they may be lying about things, yeah. or or you've got to set some pretty hard boundaries to make sure that that you don't keep getting hurt. But there's so much, gosh, Tony. I mean, there's so much that goes into it in different ways, and all of it is very situational in yeah, in terms sure. of how to move forward with it. Yeah, yeah. Do you, I mean, do you find people? Fighting about the same things. You know what I mean? Couples, is there like three or four things that everybody kind of, that's what they bicker about or that's what they bring to the the table when they're saying we can't seem to get this resolved? If we're going to put it in big buckets. Yeah. Then, so in general, there are general things that, and I'll tell you what those are in a minute, that mm-hmm. couples seem to fight about. But it also seems, it's very true that couples will tend to fight about, each couple will fight about their own specific three to four things over okay. and over. Yeah. Um, and so generally it is finances, it's in-laws, it's mm-hmm. sex, and it's parenting. I mean, those are the four. Those are the yeah, four yeah. biggest ones that couples will fight about. Yeah. Um, but but specifically in a, a relationship, there's going to be those things that that people are saying every time this comes up, we can never seem to compromise or resolve yeah. it. It just keep we just keep fighting about it. Yep. And the way to move past those is to realize that there are some disagreements that you have in your relationship that will never be resolved. You're yeah. never going to get on the same page, and mm-hmm. that is okay. So then the question is, how do you learn to compromise to where both of you have your core needs met, but you can still uh, be, you can, you can get to the point where you're good with each other. You're not going to judge the other person. You're not going to, you're not going to keep pressing their buttons or try and push them to agree with you. Right. You can just say, this is it. We're never never going to agree about it. So my, my husband and I, the one that we have with this has to do with food. (laughs) So (laughs) I am this bit, like I'm a huge paleo, like all the things, right. I love healthy foods and all the things. And he is just, he loves his fast food. Like he loves, and, and all right. Like we're just two totally different. If I tried to force him to eat the way that I eat, first of all, it would be controlling. And second of all, does it matter? I mean, he's healthy. He's not, you know, there's nothing. He enjoys his Big Mac every couple of times a a week or a month or whatever, right? Like it's overall, it's not something that is harmful to him or to our family in the big scheme of things. Yeah. And we're just, I just, we just don't need to bring it up. There's no reason to fight about it. It's just, that's his preference. This is mine. Um, That's kind of a more funny one. I'm sure there, if I thought more about it, I could share some really deep ones, but no, it's, it's, it's good. I think it's, and I love what you said about how 
some t- the, the the wise thing sometimes to stop getting repeatedly triggered on when you have differences is just to acknowledge that maybe we're not going to be on the same page. Why why do I have to agree or why do I have to have my wife agree with every single thing that I think about on all situations? We agree about so many different things. If there's differences on you know X or you you brought up the example of the diet, it, it, why do I need to keep pressing when you know? I've already given him the nutritional stuff and what he watched three documentaries on eating better and he still wants to eat that way. Why do I have to, I don't need to try to change him that way and he'll come around or he won't come around, but it's okay. Ultimately I accept his choices. He's an intelligent guy or my wife's very intelligent. Why should I try to keep pressing for a result <laughs> when it's not coming? So, you know what I mean? So, well, and uh, it's how people end up feeling controlled. And I said that briefly, but really Control is one of the biggest killers of marriage that mm. that we see. And at its core, it it basically communicates to the other person. You need to change what you do, what you look like, or how you act in mm. order for me to love you. Right. And right. that's toxic. It it that will hurt a marriage quicker than anything. Yeah. And so, and, and the other difficult part is someone who is controlling, and I'm just going to raise my hand here as a recovering control freak, mm-hmm. It, you feel like you're doing the right thing in it. Sure. Like in the moment, you're like, no, I'm trying to help them. This right. is going to make them better. I have their best interest in mind. But if their perception is, you just want me to do this so that, because, and unless I do, you won't love me, Right. then that that's not healthy. We can't have that in our relationships. Well, and the person that's on the receiving end of it is you, you, you might not be able to articulate it, but on some level you receive the message that um, you're not being loved unconditionally, that it's like, if you do X, Y, and Z the way I want you to, then I'll give you the affection or the love or the light or whatever. Um, But if you don't do those things, I really still have an issue with how you show up in the world or how you show up in our house, you know? And so, um, you know, I wanted to talk to you, you have Pies University and you, you host, it starts with attraction podcast. So you also are in the uh, principles of attraction uh, conversations. And I wanted to ask you, what are the most common myths about attraction? And uh, I w- we, I'm specifically interested in the four areas of attraction that you have. And can you have a fulfilling relationship with only when you're only firing on maybe one or two? Uh, d- can you still have a strong relationship? Mm. The biggest myths, especially in our society and culture about attraction is that Attraction is mostly based on looks. Mm. Everything out there. I mean, you see it in supermarkets, on the magazines, and in everything you're buying and all the ads that you're put on, that you see on Instagram and Facebook of fitness industry people and, and all the, take this supplement, try this diet. And all of it is, is, is pivoting and putting this message in front of people of you need to look different to be loved. Mm -hmm. And it's just not true. There are four areas of attraction. Physical is one of them, but the four areas is it's called, we call it the pies of attraction. That's where pies comes in. So it stands for physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. Mm -hmm. So physical attraction in the way that we present it, and I talk about it and that I've done research on it is while there is a 
physical and looks based component of attraction. It is the quickest to form and it is the quickest to fade in a relationship. So mm-hmm. it's very finicky. <laughs> yeah, it is for sure. Yeah, <laughs> Super finicky. Um, but that there's a deeper part of physical attraction, which is how do I feel in my own body? How do I feel energy wise? How do I just, if I close my eyes and do a self-assessment, do I feel good? Or do I feel tired? Do I feel achy? And that I believe and know that it will, uh, it'll make us aware individually and internally of some things that we need to do that our body's asking us to do for it that will help us be healthier physically. Mm -hmm. So if you're tired all day long, we need to get more sleep. If we're having to constantly run on caffeine, you know, there are things that we need to check there and we could go through the list. If you're achy, then there's things we probably need to do to move and stretch and fix where that aches and pains are, or getting out and moving our body, feeding our body foods that it needs, the nutrients, right? Like all of this will help us feel better, which will help us show up more confidently physically in our relationships. But that's only one aspect. So the intellectual part of attraction basically says, uh, if we're going to ask it about ourselves and how attractive we are in a relationship, then it says, am I a person who is fascinating to talk to? Am Mm -hmm. I learning new things? Am I growing my mind? Am I getting involved in new hobbies and interests and and doing things that that give me something to do with my hands on a day-to-day basis? This could be a, a job, this could be hobbies, interests, it could be formal or informal types of education, listening to podcasts, all of these things grow the things that we know and make us more interesting people. Because in a relationship, what we really want, and when, and when we're dating, we know this, we, we are wanting someone who we share common interests with. And not everything in common, but enough in common that we love talking to this person, that we can come home to them after work and we have a plethora of things to talk about, not just the bills and the kids. So this continues to be something that's important. Emotional attraction asks the question, do I evoke emotions within others that they enjoy feeling? Mm. And when it comes to a long-term relationship like a marriage, this is the most important aspect of attraction because someone could be the smartest and most beautiful or handsome person in the world. But if they make you feel like crap, when you're around them, you are not going to want to be near them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And these things are all the way to showing love, showing respect to your spouse, looking your spouse in the eye when they're speaking to you, getting off your phone, spending quantity and quality time with them. I mean, there are so many things that we can just, I, I bet that if your listeners just ask themselves, what are the things that I can do that it can evoke a positive emotion within my spouse? They'll know. They will know the things that will do that. And they will know the things they're doing that aren't doing that right now. And then the fourth area, before you get to the last one, I just want to say like that one is gold. I mean, that one is like where the rubber meets the road. And when you were talking about the emotional, uh, connection, it's like, uh, I was thinking about how this is where often couples get tripped up because how we make the couple feel, um, they get your spouse or your life partner gets you in every state, exhausted from work or the kids. I'm, and so, and sometimes we're getting triggered by one another. Like in a marriage, you can bring subconscious things where you're shaming the person, a person's getting triggered or whatnot. And, and it's, to me, that is the air that I can see. That's the area that couples 
can really get tripped up in or forget that, wow, yeah, perhaps I could raise my game in having my partner feel better. There's Mm -hmm. probably some simple things that would make he or she feel uplifted or feel appreciated that maybe I'm not doing. I'm maybe just going through the motions we've been together for X years, right? So we're in this groove of work and kids or whatever. And I think that part can get a little um, unconscious. How, How does your partner feel um, when they're around you. Um, mm-hmm. For me, for me, I'm like, oh, I could, I could definitely raise that up a, a notch or two just by being aware of it. Just by being aware of it. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And I think a lot of people in, especially in a relationship that that's going through a difficult time, the, the thought is always, what can my spouse do for me to right. make me happy? Yep. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. And when we shift it to, okay, so first of all, we can't control what they're doing or not doing. Mm -hmm. You can only control what you do. And so when you shift that to, okay, well, what can I do to show them that I love them, that they matter to me, that they're important and evoke those positive feelings, Mm -hmm. then that's when change begins to happen. First of all, within you, within ourselves as we're doing it, but that change is going to trickle into the other person. They will notice it over time. Yes, for sure. Okay. And then I, sorry to interrupt you. The last, the last, uh, area of attraction is spiritual, spiritual attraction. And the definition of that, it doesn't necessarily have to do with faith, although faith mm-hmm. absolutely informs people's beliefs and values, but it really has to do with what are my beliefs and values and are, I am I living in line with them. And so this starts to matter really more on an individual level because this is the core of who a person is. Your beliefs and values, Tony, whatever they may be, it, when I, if I were to ask you and get down to the core of them, they would be things that light you up. They either make you angry or they make you excited. Or they drive you. These are the things that matter most to you. And Typically, we are attracted to people who have similar beliefs and values as ours. It's difficult to have a a relationship with someone who has just a starkly different belief on something that's very, very personal and sensitive to us. But here's the key. The most unattractive thing is when people say that they believe and value a certain thing and then do not act like it. So an example of that could be someone saying, I, I just care about treating everyone with kindness and respect and, and showing that to all people. And then you go out to dinner with them and they treat the waitress like she's a complete doormat. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, Oh, that, like that doesn't look right. That doesn't feel right. Right. And so it's a great question to ask ourselves. Am I living in line with the things that I say that I believe in value? If I say, I believe and value my time with my family, am I doing it or am I, am I on my phone the whole time? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, Kimberly, thanks so much for coming on. What what creative projects do you have coming up? Where do we find your podcast? Uh, and is there anything else coming up in the fall that maybe you want the listeners to know about? Sure. So you can find my podcast, which goes into all those areas of attraction we just spoke about in more detail every single week. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, it's called It Starts With Attraction. Mm -hmm. We also have a podcast about marriage, and it's called Relationship Radio, which you can also find. And then, of course, I mentioned our 
youtube.com slash marichilper. You can also go to marichilper.com, all the things, any, uh, the things coming up, we are always having the workshops that we do for marriages. We're doing those in person and online. They have over a 70% success rate at saving marriages. And so those are continuing and we do those almost every other weekend. Uh, so those are fun things that we have. If, if there are any listeners that are saying we need help, I can't do this alone. Our workshop is a turnaround weekend. It will transform your marriage. That's great. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for coming on. And thank you for all the great work you're doing to help couples with Marriage Helper, Pies University, and helping people understand uh, the foundations of of themselves and relationships. Thank you. Uh, It's making a huge difference. And thanks for coming on. It was really great to talk to you today. Thank you so much, Tony. It was great. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Kimberly Holmes. I love what she said about even if you're the only one to do inner work to help the relationship, often this will be enough to get positive development going. Because some of you might have partners that are not interested in therapy or working on things, and that's okay. As long as you are willing to do the work on yourself, things will tend to grow in the relationship as well. I also love what she said about how it's so important to remember how you make your partner feel. I think this is such an important point, and I think it can get lost in a long-term relationship. I know I lose sight of it from time to time as well. It's a great lens to look out of. Lastly, I asked Kim for a couple book recommendations for relationships for you, and Kimberly recommends Eight Dates by Dr. John Gottman. I love John Gottman. I've attended some of his workshops with Lisa in the past. And also Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Great book. And I have a couple as well, uh, two relationship books that I love. Uh, One is Getting the Love You Want by Harvel Hendricks. And lastly, Passionate Marriage by Dr. David Schnark. That's our show for today. Men, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men.